This is CF City Views, stories of better community building, a Cadillac Fairview podcast, exploring the shape of our cities together and transforming communities for a vibrant tomorrow. The land on which this podcast was recorded and on which the city of Vancouver was built is the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Though this podcast discusses the evolution of Vancouver as a contemporary city, we acknowledge and honor the fact that these lands have been the sacred home of Indigenous communities who have lived and worked here from time immemorial. Here's your host, Brent Totterin. Hello and welcome. I'm city planner and urbanist Brent Totterin, and this is CF City Views, stories of better community building. It's a conversation about how we shape our cities and how community building decisions contribute to urban life. Or maybe they do the exact opposite. When CF asked me to host these episodes on Vancouver, they knew my reputation for not pulling any punches when it comes to the public interest. That will be our approach to this podcast, telling it like it is and was, with the ambitious goal of inspiring better city making. The first three episodes come to you from Vancouver and profile three powerful eras of downtown city building, overlapped with three eras of one of Cadillac Fairview's most intriguing and iconic projects anywhere, the CF Pacific Center. It's fair to say I know a thing or two about downtown Vancouver. Not only do I live here, I was the city's chief city planner for six years, but I sure don't know everything. So I'm really glad that we've invited some friends and experts to each episode and together, we're going to tell you the story of how a very bold city and a very bold project supported each other over decades to achieve some really special community building. In this episode of CF City Views, we're going to the fair. I'm talking, of course, about Expo 86, Vancouver's first big introduction to the world. While the fair was happening, and indeed because the fair was happening, the downtown was evolving with the game-changing arrival of SkyTrain and a new strategy for downtown housing called Living First. But not all changes were well-received. Ever heard of the Great White Urinal? Today, I'm chatting with a former downtown business figure, an influential Vancouver architect, and two CF leaders. It's 1979. Vancouver doesn't have an iconic seawall yet, or vibrant waterfront communities. Instead, it has a huge former industrial wasteland off of False Creek that's being proposed as the site of a world expo centered around the theme of futuristic transportation and communication. A year later, Vancouver is ecstatic to be awarded the global hosting gig. And so begins the rapid initial transformation of the waterfront and downtown for the fair, and then a generation-long transformation because of the fair. Within just a few years, BC Place Stadium and the Vancouver Convention Center are erected, and we have Vancouver's first elevated SkyTrain lines connecting the downtown to the suburbs, effectively replacing those famously rejected freeways and answering the question, if not cars, then what? Each SkyTrain line was the equivalent of an average of two dozen road lanes. Suddenly, getting to the downtown by car didn't seem so necessary. And getting around the downtown might even be easier without a car. And as for that former industrial wasteland, well, that was going to be where Vancouver proved something that many North American cities just didn't think was possible. A lot of people, including families, will move downtown and walk to work, to schools, to shopping, to restaurants, to everything. If you build outstanding urban density, amenity-filled, well-designed urban neighborhoods that could even outperform the suburbs. For architect James Chang, there's Vancouver before Expo 86 and Vancouver after Expo 86. 
Vancouver went through a transformation after Expo. Before Expo, Vancouver was a heck town. There was not much to it. To me, that's when the city actually made itself known throughout the world. I mean, people already know Vancouver is a nice place to visit. Well, you go to Butchard Garden, you go to Victoria, and you know, you can go whale watching and all that stuff. But as a urban city that has a life, a cultural life, started shortly before that. Because I remember I used to work in San Francisco. I came to Vancouver in 73. There were hardly any bookstores. There was hardly any galleries. Vancouver Art Gallery was a dumpy place on Georgia Street. You know, there was no dance company. There was, I don't think there was a ballet. The symphony doesn't have a home. So culturally, Vancouver was still a very small town. Life was very simple. But when Expo and all these new immigrants start to come, they bring different culture, different demand to the city. And I think that started to encourage Pacific Center and other business visionary to take advantage of that and start remodeling or expanding to accommodate or embrace this new culture and energy that's coming to downtown. Lillian Tummins, VP of Operations at CF, recalls the energy of that new era quite well, particularly the new energy around transportation. I remember when I was in high school in the 1980s and Pacific Center was my mall, I used to take the Hastings bus downtown to come to shop at Pacific Center. So when SkyTrain opened, it was delightful. Expo 86 will reveal to the world the meaning and the marvels of modern communications and transportation. Our new rapid transit system will be part of it. Greater Vancouver is on the move. Transit is on track. In January 1986, Vancouver's rapid transit system begins public service. It begins to serve the people whose interactions within the city are the city. The new transit line was a godsend for downtown businesses, as Charles, the former president of the downtown BIA, recalls. Yeah, so when I arrived in 1992, downtown had just gone through Expo 86. And so downtown was, you know, from my perspective, basically a nine to five, Monday to Friday type of downtown. Certainly there was a residential population in the West End. And yes, Pacific Center was here, it was a regional shopping center, and certainly very pivotal in terms of bringing people downtown to shop, dine, and to complement the other activities that visitors were doing when they were coming downtown. If the freeway had been built into downtown Vancouver, I don't think we would have seen the same amount of public transit that we have today. I think it would have been really difficult to convince the electorate to support that kind of investment in public transit if the freeway system you know, was what I would call top-notch or first class. And I also think we would have lost out on a lot of other opportunities. I don't think we would see Vancouver today if we had gone ahead with the freeway into the downtown. I think we would have a much different downtown. Housing became the city's primary strategy for a vibrant downtown community that wasn't dependent on the car. They even had a nickname for the strategy, coined by one of my famous city planning predecessors, co-director of planning Larry Beasley. He called it Living First. Although the Central Business District was all about office jobs and shopping, the rest of Vancouver's big downtown peninsula, including all that potentially gorgeous waterfront, would become more and more about living and enjoying urban life. I think Expo 86 did, you know, crystallize the vision of this workable, livable city. And it really showcased how workable and livable downtown Vancouver is. 
it's a cosmopolitan, very urban setting. However, you know, when you look to the north, you see these beautiful North Shore mountains. We're surrounded by water. It really gives you a sense that you could live downtown, work downtown, but also be able to enjoy the outdoors, which, you know, Vancouver is known for at your footsteps. Everything is within walking distance. While Vancouver's downtown was transforming, the CF Pacific Centre was evolving to its full size and was proving itself to be something the downtown really needed, a catalyst project that others could build on, right in the heart of a new kind of city. Although it had its weaknesses, like that inward-looking design that turned its back to the street, its greatest strength was its ambition and its connectedness. Not to mention all that shopping and all those employees that wouldn't have existed downtown without it. Here's CF's Vice President of Development, Matthew Cavanaugh. What I find really striking about Pacific Centre and really the way it's evolved over the years is just how fluid it has been. And like we sort of discussed, you see many different eras of architecture and urban design within Pacific Centre. And you can see it sort of bend and flex and adapt as the years and decades go by. And there's changing attitudes and changing minds. And really, it's great that Pacific Centre is not this monument set in time that can't adapt to what the local and sort of neighborhood of the time needs it to be, it is adaptable. And I think that's really exciting because while it was an amazing development for the 70s, in the 2000s, we look at it and we say this doesn't really work anymore from both an urbanist standpoint and really from a a commercial standpoint. I think all parties were in agreement that while it was fantastic for the 70s, it didn't really meet our needs anymore. And it's great that that's not stuck in stone, even though we look at real estate as this development that is quite permanent. In a way it is, but in a very meaningful way, it isn't. And we really are able to take these assets and make major capital investments in them and really modify them to perform the duties that the needs of today have. And that's really exciting. And that's where someone like a Cadillac Fairview, a large long-term investor, can sort of take the charge and be the one to say, this is going to be an expensive investment in an already income-producing asset, but we know it's the right thing to do for both our asset and for the community. And it's really going to pay dividends in the long term. But with that success, there was still a really big elephant under the table for the CF Pacific Center, or more accurately, a urinal. The massive, high-profile Sears building, conceived and designed by famous architect Cesar Pelli, was, shall we say, less than celebrated for its architecture. In fact, after an expansion on top moved the architecture even more away from its initial pure white box concept, the building got a not-so-complimentary nickname around town, the Great White Urinal. Just about any time anyone talked about the Vancouver buildings that they hated the most, the urinal would come up, often in the number one spot. Although he would end up having a big part in bringing the so-called urinal to its end, Vancouver architect James Chang wasn't surprised by the design choice. It was a different era after all. As a center, they have to sell everything. You know, you can buy furniture, clothing, everything. So the building was huge. It was like 75,000 square foot of floor. And then it worked so well and so successful that they have to add two more floors to it. And that's the urinal part that people talk about. But at that time, there was no street life in Vancouver to speak of. So they don't see why they need to address the street. They just need to get people into the box and then shower the hell out of them with their creative lighting and merchandising and whatever. And the idea is keep them inside and don't even let them see daylight because then they don't know how long they've been shopping in the store. And also the underground mall. Once you get them underground, you keep them there and they only pop up 
Either they go into the Eaton store or they go into the office buildings. They don't want to associate with the other people outside. Because if you get a historical map, you will see that there's not much around Pacific Center other than parking lots and a few rundown buildings. Hotel Vancouver was close by and the gallery was kind of the courthouse defunct, doesn't have a lot of people there. So it's a very different context that Vancouver was in. And I think a lot of people didn't realize that. It's a more forgiving take, to be sure, but it's true. The gray-white urinal design represented a time when urban planning and architectural priorities were very different. Here's Charles. The Sears building and the architecture was a point of conversation and received a lot of criticism. It speaks of the time when buildings didn't really care about how they were integrated with the street and the landscape and the environment. I viewed it as almost a castle with a moat, you know, where you weren't allowed to look in, but you were welcome to come in. But it really wasn't what I would call neighborly or, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Just like the mistake to have the buildings turn their back on the street, The architecture of the Great White Urinal became a powerful opportunity for design redemption for CF. Next episode, let the games begin. The 21st Olympic Winter Games in 2010 are awarded to the city of Vancouver. The games are coming back to Canada. We're taking you to the next big turning point in the history of modern Vancouver, when the city welcomed the world again for the 2010 Winter Olympic and Paralympic Games. We'll talk about how winning this second global hosting gig was a catalyst for another evolution in city making. Thanks for listening. That was CF City Views. Stories of better community building. A Cadillac Fairview podcast. Exploring the shape of our cities together and transforming communities for a vibrant tomorrow. Meet you there.